Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, and this is where technology meets entertainment. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas and Hanukkah. I did. I spent it with my son, who's visiting me from San Francisco, my wife and a group of 13 close friends. It was really terrific. Now, there's just five days until 2017, and I think that's going to be an incredible year for, for entrepreneurs, and uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to wish everybody who listens to this program and that reads my daily newsletter a very happy new year for next week and beyond. Now, we know we've got a few challenges facing us, and one of those is the cost of labour. And uh, I changed my mind about a, a little bit about needing a, an increase in the um, minimum wage when I went to Arizona and was talking to some small business people who were on the bones of their ass. And uh, I had to think about it a bit. And the CEO of Carl's Jr. says that with government driving up the cost of labour, I'm not sure that that's true, but nevertheless, it's driving down the number of jobs you're going to see and automation not just in airports and grocery stores, but is going to occur in restaurants. So as automation sweeps the restaurant industry, fast food execs are looking closely at two-year-old Eatsa, a five-store chain that is 100% automated, driven by machines instead of people. Eatsa functions essentially like a vending machine in, you, in that you walk in, it's got eight freshly prepared food bowls, and then you can custard custom order them or you can fiddle them around, change the ingredients. In addition to bowls, you can pick up sides from fruit and chips and guacamole and falafel and a whole bunch of stuff. And the concept of cashless transactions, no cashiers, ordering your food via the tablet or via mobile is pretty futuristic for a fast food joint, although more and more people are doing it. There are people behind the scenes preparing the food, but in the store... There is no one, just kiosks. One of the restaurant's major attractions is its very affordable price. Pretty much everything costs just $6.95. Although, you know, I sat down and gave it a bit of thought, and if you had three or four people in the the store and you gave them each a buck an hour and they're doing um, 100 meals an hour, you know, those meals would go from six ninety nine to seven dollars fifteen or something. And I don't think anybody object to pay pay that. And I think um, it's going to be a lot more expensive to have those people out of work. But inside, when you walk in, customers are immediately faced with a non traditional setup. Instead of lining up at a single place to order and pay, there are a dozen or so kiosks on the wall. It's very minimalistic with long, sleek wooden tables that you can sit at. And I hate that. I hate going into restaurants and sitting at long, skinny tables. Doesn't work for me. But the well-equipped kiosk takes you step-by-step through the ordering process. And then you must pay with a card. Or you can pay with PayPal or Apple Pay. But you can't pay with cash. This is almost 2017. What the hell is cash? Anybody know what cash is anymore? So you place your order and then a couple of minutes later, your order is ready at wall locker number two. You double tap the screen on the door and you take your meal. Now, if you're antisocial, this is a perfect restaurant. You don't have to have any human contact whatsoever. Perfect for most of those people who don't like people. Now, each has inspired the CEO of Carl's Jr., Andy Perster, whose interest totally in an employee-free restaurant. He believes that higher minimum wages will lead to reduced employment opportunities and machines. Now, machines are always polite. They'll always try to upsell. 
They never take a vacation. They never show up late. There's no, nobody ever slips and falls or sues you or anything. There's no age, sex or race discrimination. Mm. So as a result, Persda and others in the fast food business are investing big in automation. Persda says that a restaurant that's 100% automated will have one big plus for millennials. He believes that millennials do not like to socially interact. I don't agree with that at all, but that's what he thinks. Um, but older customers might find themselves confused in a tech-heavy location. But it's sad. But unfortunately, it is on the way. And with the changes in technology happening so quickly and accelerating, it's time to predict the biggest trends and issues for 2017. Silicon Valley was generally not a big supporter of President-elect Donald Trump. I've never met anybody who was, but he got 66 million votes, so somebody must have. Um, however... The technology executives, they're pragmatic and they know they need to deal with his administration if they want to see their tech agenda advanced over the next four years. Trump's recent meeting with uh, Cook from Apple and Nadella from Microsoft and Musk from Tesla and others allowed these leaders to share with Trump their concerns. Trump now needs to really try and make sure he doesn't do anything that hurts the tech world from making advances during his presidency. It's one of the few things that's going to drive economies is the growth of the tech industry in this country. And uh, he really needs to make sure that it thrives. The problem, Trump's unpredictable. And it's unclear what his approach to tech might be. So this is going to be a huge issue for tech in 2017, possibly the biggest. Now, augmented and uh, mixed reality will be more important than virtual reality in 2017, although VR is the hot tech product at the moment with the Oculus Rift and HTC Vive and Sony's, Sony's PlayStation VR garnering much of the media attention. VR will mostly be used in gaming over the next year. On the other hand, Niantic's Pokemon Go game introduced AR to a broad, wide, wide, wide worldwide audience, giving players a taste of how information and images can be superimposed on any kind of image or setting to add content and even video to the real world. Very cool. Apple CEO Cook says he believes AR is much more interesting to his company than VR. And I'd not be surprised if AR will be a big focus when Apple introduces its next iPhone, likely in the fall of 2017. Expect more non-Apple phones to pack R as well, likely via Google's Tango Tech. I also believe we'll see the first generation of mixed reality consumer glasses that have both AR and VR apps, although AR will be the predominant solution in this generation as consumer devices. Two-in-one computers are going to take off, talking with most PC vendors, especially those making Windows portable PCs. It's becoming increasingly difficult to innovate on a traditional laptop design. Consequently, PC makers are putting most of their attention on innovating around what the industry calls two-in-ones, which features a tablet-style design with an attachable keyboard. PC vendors will also work on convertibles, which look more like traditional laptops, but also have a touchscreen and a removable keyboard. And the PC industry's goal now is to move everyone over to two-in-ones and convertible designs, as they are a much more versatile platform, and convincing users then they need to upgrade. Well, if everybody upgrades to a two-in-one, that could really jumpstart flagging sales. Although we'll see plenty of news and activity around the development of self-driving vehicles, these types of cars probably won't be on the market until around 2020, which is still maybe three years down the line. 
In the meanwhile, consumers will be interested in finding ways to make their existing cars smarter using software like Apple's CarPlay or Google's Android Auto and other data collected systems that add intelligence to any car. Additionally, there are some interesting new smart automotive systems like there's one from Navdi which adds a heads-up display to nearly any vehicle, displaying navigational information, notifications and a lot more. In 2017, we'll see more car owners opt to smarten up their existing vehicles using tech like this. In 2017... Hackers and criminals will get smarter. I mean, they're pretty bloody smart now, but they're going to get a lot smarter. There were 707 million security breaches in 2015 and 554 million security breaches in just the first half of 2016, according to Intel Security, formerly McAfee. This year, hackers are learning to use artificial intelligence to, uh, to um, automate their attacks, making it even faster for them to break into Target's accounts. That's Target's accounts, not Target's accounts, if you know what I mean. The alarm about malevolent use of advanced artificial intelligence technologies was sounded earlier this year by James R. Clapper, He's the director of national intelligence. Unfortunate name, but I guess you're stuck with what you've got. In his annual review of security, Mr. Clapper underscored the point that while AI systems would make some things easier, they would also expand the vulnerability of the online world. The next generation of these tools will add machine learning capabilities that have been pioneered by artificial intelligence researchers to improve the quality of machine vision, speech understanding, speech synthetics, and natural language understanding. Some computer security researchers believe that digital criminals have been experimenting with the use of AI technology for more than five years. However, every year we have predictions. Let me just run through a few. In 1876, William Orton, who was the president of Western Union, said, the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. In 1903, the president of Michigan Savings Bank, while thinking about giving money to Henry Ford, said, the horse is here to stay. The, autom the automobile isn't a novelty, really. In 1921, Associates of David Sarnoff advising him not to invest in radio said, the wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Really? In 1946, Daryl Zanuck from 20th Century Fox said, television won't be able to hold on to its market people will soon get tired at staring at a plywood box. Well, I guess he was wrong too. 1961, T.A.M. Craven, the Federal Communications Commissioner, said there is practically no chance communications space satellites will be able to provide better telephone, telegraph, television or radio service. How about 1981? Marty Cooper, inventor, said cellular phones will absolutely not replace local hardwire systems. Robert Metcalf, the founder of 3Com, said in 95, I predict the internet will soon go spectacularly supernova and in 1996 will catastrophically collapse. Hmm. 2005, Steve Chen, the co-founder of YouTube, said the company has no long-term long viability because just there's not just that many videos people want to watch. 
Yeah, and this is the one that gets me. In 2007, Steve Ballmer, Microsoft CEO at the time, said, there is absolutely no chance that the iPhone will get any significant market share. Now, they're just some predictions over the last 100 years or so. Most of them are wrong. So probably a number of the ones I gave you earlier are also just as wrong. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have around, some, somewhere around 81,000 daily subscribers, and I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for it. It's just 30 seconds to read it. The odd day goes a bit longer. I think today's was longer, but normally it goes for 30 seconds. It takes you 30 seconds to read, keep you up to, bit, up to date with all of the business news that's important. So you can, when you go to the uh, water cooler, you can sit around and talk to people and uh, just amaze everybody with how bloody smart you are. I mean, that's pretty cool. So go to my website, bobpritchard.com. I also um, thank you very much for all of the comments that I get on the daily newsletter. 99% of them are good. There's the odd one that tells me that I'm a fuckwit and don't know what I'm talking about, but that's all right. I can tolerate that. I'll write you back a very polite little note and make you feel bad. But you should get it anyway. My guest today, David Young, he's a really good guy. He looks like he should be a. Um, he looks like he should be playing for a, um, you know, like the Rams or somebody. He's a good bloke, though. He's the chief executive officer at Kodak, winning photos. He's a former analyst on Wall Street before joining a treasury group at a Fortune 500 company. He's developed a number of cloud patents and sold a technology company he co-founded for a whole truckload of money. So David is the chief executive officer at Kodak Winning Photos. This is a good idea, incidentally. And I'll be back with David to discuss his new startup as well as finding out why he calls himself Chief Swiss Army Knife. That's his title. David Young, Chief Swiss Army Knife. Immediately after this short break, on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last five and a half years or so, we've given you insights into the lives of somewhere around 350 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do. We've talked about the challenges they faced, and we've tried to find out what deep down makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business, and we all need to receive all the advice and assistance from mentors and the entrepreneurs that have gone before us in order to maximize our chances of success. You know, 96% of all new businesses fail, so only four in 100 succeed and so we don't need to make mistakes that other people have overcome so the aim of this segment is to assist you to 
become highly successful by listening to the trials and tribulations and the successes of people who have gone before you. Now, David Young is the Chief Executive Officer at Kodak Winning Photos, a Seattle-based global company with a robust trajectory, and it provides a place for photographers to grow and mentor other up-and-coming photographers. David started out as an analyst on Wall Street, although I've got to say that today he doesn't exactly look like it, but he was an analyst on Wall Street before joining the Treasury Group at a Fortune 500 company with the goal of bringing mobile data to the US. David's also developed a number of cloud patents and sold a technology company co-founded during the tech bubble, so he's rich. David, welcome to the Bob yeah. Pritchard Radio Show, and you're Thank being you. heard Thank all around the world. Well, thank you, and thanks for the compliment that I don't look like a Wall Street analyst. I, I do, I do appreciate that. Um, I, I probably uh, I look like someone who may have eaten a Wall Street analyst at, at one point in my life. But thank you very much. I don't think anybody really wants to look like a Wall Street analyst, do they? Oh gosh, you know, I've been lying to my parents about that for for years. You know, right? I mean, you don't want to tell anyone that that you did that at one point in your life. And, uh, talk about businesses that are undergoing tremendous change. I, I think that 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 industry and that segment in particular, especially with the technology today, the artificial intelligence that's growing in its robustness, yeah. that industry, it, they once thought that they would be immune to a lot of this stuff. And man, they're going to they're gonna find out real quick that uh, technology will actually replace Wall Street jobs. Well, not only Wall Street jobs, but I've been saying for a long time that banks, the traditional bank is fucked and they deserve to be. Yeah, you know, there's no place for banks and and their ripoff tactics in this world today. The um, um, the technology, the new young technology companies that are springing up all around the world will just eat their lunch, <laughs> because banks banks are not going to get the deposits because there's other places to put your money that's much easier, and therefore they're not going to be able to make the loans. And you take the loans out, and you know most of them are going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. I, I I would agree with that very much. So, why do you introduce yourself as a chief Swiss army knife? Oh, what's that about? Is, is that a it, form of intimidation? You look pretty no, intimidating. No, no, good it is, heavens. I, I, I use it. I, I like, I'm a visual person. I right. like, in spite of my appearance, I'm a visual person uh, when it comes to learning and trying to explain things. And what I tell people when they start asking about, winning photos and, and what we do and, and what we're all about. You know, they, they want to know about your people. They want to know how many you've got in tech and social and sales. And then they also want to know, gosh, are you leveraging some outside, you know, PR agencies, outside legal, maybe you offshore and onshore some of your tech development. And then Dave, what do you do as the CEO? And I just say, look, I, I do all of this stuff. I'm a chief Swiss army knife. I, I wear a number of different hats. Uh, many of us do that, especially when you come from an entrepreneurial background. You have your your hands in many pieces of the business, and to to go with a CEO title, I don't think that tells anyone about what I do. And I think the Swiss Army knife comes a lot closer to what I actually do, because if I'll tell you what, Bob, if, if the if the trash needs to be taken out, and I'm the person that sees it, I, I would expect that that I would take care of that and handle it uh, with with precision and and excellence. So that, that's a that, that's actually a great training platform, isn't it? I mean, I, mean, I started working for a billionaire in Australia a long time ago. And uh, in Australia, they run businesses much leaner than they do here. And we had to do everything. If it, And I was involved in sports. So if there was a sign had to go up on the fence, despite the fact that I was the marketing manager for this worldwide sport, if there needed to be a sign on the wall, go and do it. If, you know, if somebody needed a drink out there, go and do it. And incidentally, <laughs> while you're doing that, organise next week's games in England. <laughs> but it's a good, it is definitely a great training platform. One of the questions that I'd have that came from that is that um, looking at the failure of startups, a hell of a lot of startups fail because the CEO or the, the entrepreneur is not good at wearing 10 different hats. They try to because, you know, shortage of capital and a whole bunch of reasons, but um they're not good at wearing a whole bunch of hats and, and that ultimately can lead to the downfall of the business. 
What do you yeah, say? I, I, I think so. I, I think, I think there, there is a, there, there's a difference between, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim that, that I'm someone who is an expert wearing those 10 different hats that I will wear, but, but what you need in a startup and, and what is so important and frankly, I think critical for success is you have to have the ability to understand not only the strategy and your vision and your value proposition, but then how it implements and, and how you do that through marketing, how you tie your technology roadmaps together with how you're building your audience and, and your community and how you're tying your your intellectual property development and your patent portfolio with these nearer term opportunities that, that are, are maybe one to two years away versus four to five years away. What, what you don't want to do, and I think the risk is with wearing a number of hats, is you can you can rat hole into an area of the business that, that frankly doesn't need your attention right now. Yeah. Um, and so where, where, where we don't want to be reactive to, to everything that we're doing, we are a small company and, and our ability to react to things is a strength that we have, but we are absolutely following our strategic plan and we're executing against that. And, and frankly, we spend a ton of time thinking about what we're doing in the next three months, six months, 18 months and, and 24 months. And then what happens beyond that? I mean, we go to our strategy people, our intellectual property portfolio, things that we're working that are much more long-term in nature. But uh, in terms of the hats that I wear, that's definitely a back burner focus for me. You know, so many, I think so many um, entrepreneurs think that if you've got a killer app, people are just going to come and they don't. You know, all those other things that you were talking about are so critical, particularly a strategic business plan and a strategic marketing plan are so critical if you want to get out there because you can build the world's best app, but that doesn't mean any bastard's going to turn up. No, that's, you know, and and that is what's so difficult. I mean, I've heard so many stories of people that started an app uh, over the course of a weekend and then you know, woke up a week later with 20 million users and, and you hear about this stuff. And, and frankly, you got to start asking the questions because that is not a model that many people should bank on. That's definitely not a model as an investor you would want to uh, take for granted and think it's going to happen. But I think what, what we do with winning photos, which which is is very interesting and appealing to to me personally, is that we are tapping into a very fundamentally human uh, possession, which is our perspective, the way that we view things. And everyone has that. We all have our own perspective on, on everything. We're, we're getting over a very uh, contentious political season really? in, the, in the United <laughs> States, if you've heard anything about it. And, and so we've seen lots of perspectives that are out there, lots of people sharing them. Imagery and photos in particular are the manifestation of perception. Right. And it's the thing that people do most with their cell phones. Forget about like messaging. It's, it's like an activity that people do on cell phones all over the world. It's something that we all have. And so what we've done is we're creating a an application that will be launching in January. Right. And and what's so important is to not only make it appealing from a technology standpoint, from a cool factor, from a community standpoint, but to tap into some of these lower level things that we all share. And, and I, I really believe that this perspective and, and how you view things and your ability to use your perspective for positive change in the world today is is one of those catalysts that we think will uh, become viral in its nature at, at some point in our development. Okay, you're launching, I believe, at CES, but just give us a little glimpse of how the app works and who the target audience is for this. Yeah, yeah, we, we really have, um, the, the app is is quite simple, and, and we lead with the fact that we have photo competitions that are available. We have daily competitions, weekly competitions, monthly competitions. Those are sponsored by brands that you've heard of. Right. Uh, some of the sponsorships come from companies that, that really just want to provide our users with some capital that they can donate to causes that they care about. Our target audience 
are millennials for the competitions. They're the ones who live on their cell phones. They're the ones who are taking so many of these wonderful uh, cell phone pictures. And there hasn't been a, a true uh, community and a marketplace for not only sharing that art and, and competing, but also for using that art and being able to maybe take the next step in, in a budding photography career. And that's that's a market that we're, we're very focused on. Our other market is our community, and those are photo enthusiasts, and that's really where our our deep partnership with Kodak comes into play. Um, I, I often tell people we're we're a startup that's been 130 years in the making. <laughs> so the, our our photography enthusiasts who are part of our community, they know who Kodak is. Uh, Kodak is a very well respected brand around the world, and and we're able to use that as a very broad branding, let's just call it a branding moniker for our community to organize around and say, oh yeah, you know, we can share this stuff. We can share our images. We can share best practices, mentorship opportunities, all sorts of great stuff in the community. And that's where the Kodak brand helps us. Okay. Um, So you have like a daily competition or an hourly competition or a weekly or whatever it is between all these amateur photographers all over the world. Now, there's a what is there a billion photos being taken every minute or something? Oh yeah, it's it's massive. It, it's you, supposed to hit like two trillion total like next year, which is just amazing. How do amazing. you how do you then say Fred from Beijing, you're the winner? How do you do that? Well, we've been we've been fortunate in that uh, what. What we are doing from a technology standpoint um, has been fairly well developed. Like what, what we couldn't have done this even a few years ago. Right. And when, what I mean specifically by that is we crowdsource our judging. We can, uh, we, we, can, we can tap into judges from around the world who will look at photos and we've tested this and, and we can ask them to choose. It could be what is the best photo in terms of composition, lighting, subject matter, inspiration. And we start getting into very photography-centric judging criteria. And what we do is we save that for later, Bob. (laughs) What we want to do is we want hundreds of thousands of people to enter a contest. Those, Those photos that are submitted will be judged not only by the people who have submitted them, we will use our own users as part of that crowdsourcing, and we will use other users uh, in, in a different platform to judge them as well. And once we call them down to maybe, let's say, 100 photos or so, they'll go to professional photographers to judge, which allows us to do a couple of things. We make sure that we do have the best images, but until the professional judges look at them, we can have any criteria you want. We can say, which photo is is sexy? Which photo is cute? Which photo does the best? We can have any of those qualifiers that we want. And and I think that's that's what makes it much more appealing and less threatening, I think, for uh for people who want to take that next step of sharing a photo and perhaps entering it into a competition. It's it's also a great way to um, um, have the people that are taking the photos feel like they're part of the process and um, that, that, that'll encourage more involvement and yeah, we, and we want we want idea. them to be able to to progress at their own speed and do it in a very respectful environment that that frankly can be very anonymous at first, where you know we, we just I, I think that what most of us share we all have pictures and I'm not a professional photographer, um, but I have a few photos that I've taken over time that I I wonder gosh is this good this looks kind of good to me. What do other people think about it? And we have a platform where you can submit that and you will get back a scoring criteria that's yours to keep. It's, it, it analyzes your photo. It rates your photo. You can see how your photo did over time with the other photos. And you can take that and go, gosh, you know, maybe I can improve this area of my life and sharing my perspective uh, through images. And, and we're hoping that that process really gets some people excited who never thought that they would have this type of social influence with their imagery. 
tell us about your partnership with Kodak. Um, how did that come about? Um, when when we, uh, I, I think that that this is one of those areas where, as as a startup business, you have to look at the marketplace that you're competing in. We're competing in in a worldwide market, and to do that as a startup, and and with disruptive technology, which we have, is is a challenge in and of itself. When when you look at, gosh, you know, how are we going to at first? really uh, have a have have some sort of an image and a brand behind us that that clearly states to people in this app universe this deep tremendously broad sea of applications that are out yeah. there that tell people pretty clearly what you do and and so kodak was was really where where we started and where we ended um, the the team at at kodak they are they're very interested now in this digital photography revolution and and what's going on. Took them when we a while, at, didn't I? <laughs> oh my god! Well, it took them what? So we've been around for a year. So we'll say 129 years. And then uh, with winning photos, uh, they're they're definitely back at it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would I would say that that our target audiences in the millennials they they have a little bit of a of a, a retro feel for Kodak with their Super 8 cameras that are out there. They're launching a really cool cell phone camera at, at CES this year. And, you know, it, people want to take good photos with their cell phones. Yeah. Um, Kodak is definitely supporting that. Kodak means photography to our photographer enthusiasts, part of our community. And the, the millennials who are out there think Kodak is interesting, but, you know, they really like the idea of, of sharing something that they already have uh, 5,000 of on their cell phones, right? They have, the average person has like 2,500 pictures on their cell phone. Unbelievable, Unbelievable. amount of uh, potential uh, sharing with that. Photography, for most people that are out there taking photos with their cell phones, it's um, it's not even a hobby. It's just some way to capture instant moments. But it is a hobby for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. People that um, have photography as a hobby, how can they monetize this hobby? Is, is there a way through um, through you to monetize it? To so it's it it is absolutely on our roadmap, and it will be central to our value proposition over time. As part of the community of winning photos, we do offer the ability to monetize your art on our on our website. Um, we're not your traditional image bank in that. What we want to do is have you offer photographs, which are purchased one time, and then they're gone. Right. So we, we allow we will allow our users, our, our photographers who have the membership in our community to set the price for their photographs yeah. and we'll have a, a rev share with them uh, in that regard. I think what's what's most important, I mean, it's, it's one thing to monetize your your art. And when you're dealing with artists it's a little different than dealing with the Wall Street crowd, in my in my experience, <laughs> and that they don't they don't start with the money. They're not like I I well, I came to this and I said, oh my gosh, you know, we will differentiate ourselves by by offering very attractive rev share with these images that you sell, and and you can promote even other people's work in addition to ours, and you'll have these wonderful financial incentives to to really monetize your hobby and perhaps even take it. From an avocation to a, a very lucrative avocation, yeah. And and I can't I can't tell you, Bob, how absolutely wrong I was about the base. Now we're going to do everything that I just said, and I thought that that would get people excited. And we're we're getting our feedback, and why we're designing the community in the way that we are designing it is because what these photographers want, and I'm talking photographers who are making plenty of money in their art, right. they're not interested in the money as much as they are a community of mentoring, of sharing ideas, of sharing best practices, of, of really giving back. And, and I was blown away by that. I was absolutely shocked. And this is not something that I think most people would have thought about when, when, they, were, when they were thinking about an app that, that, that could help you know, photographers earn, earn a living or, or, or a, an app that that would not only take your avocation to 
to something that pays for for your for your tools and, and your and your uh, photography equipment, but something that, that might even pay for for your house and your bills and other stuff. Yeah. That, you know, it's it's a different. It's they're different types of individuals. We respect their art. We respect what their desires are, and they have an absolute impact on how we take the community. And we've given them we've given them that platform to to tell us what they want to see. So it's everything that that they're expecting and everything they want that's not currently out there. Most um, most people in the arts want um, recognition and respect for for their talent um you know coming from um wall street all you all you guys want to do is buy another ferrari (laughs) and you don't care who likes you and who doesn't but um, (laughs) i would imagine that photographers really do care about people liking them and respecting them and this is one way one way that they can do it yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm giggling about, about the, the Ferrari comment because I do think that there, there is a, a bit of kind of this soulless hunger and appetite that goes on in that industry. Yeah. And I think that we're definitely, we're, we're, we're in an industry where it's the exact opposite, but at, at the same time, I think everyone wants recognition and, and they, they want it in their, in their own way, Bob. I mean, maybe the recognition that, that some people want is is that they want to have they, they want to have the cool cars and, and the big house and the recognition that, that other people are looking for is that gosh you know they made a difference they they impacted humanity um, they, they were a catalyst for positive change in their community and and start small and and grow from there and everyone is different and everyone kind of seeks their own uh, validation throughout life, and and we're hoping to to help a lot of people do that on our site. Hopefully, more and more people want to become, want to give back, and want to be um, good for the community rather than. Um, it's collect, it's so yeah. Ferraris. It's so it's so important, Bob. And I, I would say that um, as we've become experts in millennials and and millennial audiences, and. You know, at at Kodak Winning Photos, we we have millennials working for us right. <laughs> in technology and social in in the community, sure. and and we had to do that because frankly they, they think differently than I do. I, I realize that 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 millennials has has a very defined demographic, but it's also a, a, a state of mind in, in the way that you perceive, um, you know, what what motivates you. To succeed, or, or what is success in your book, and it's very different from, yeah. from the way that that I developed and and the way I am today. And I've recognized that. And and as a company, we we employ millennials, we look for them, and and where I think they are onto something is this very close attachment to community yeah. and using their social presence. Not they they value their social image and, and what they're, what they're doing. And, and these are good, wonderful things that they're volunteering and, and they share that out. Whereas a lot of folks in, in my demographic, which is the Gen Xers, we don't talk about our philanthropy at all. I mean, you can't, it's, it'd be hard to pry it out of us. Yeah. And, and this, this group is very, very upfront with it. And, and they challenge their friends and, and it's, it's an absolute Wonderful! It's one of the the coolest things about that demographic, in my opinion. They're forcing a change with so many corporations that are now giving back because it's cool. To, well, not only because it's cool to give back, it's the right thing to do, but it's the only way to get support um, of millennials. You've got to be seen to be being good for your community, good for the environment. Those things are now becoming very, very important, and that's a that's a great sign. Um, you're based in Bellevue in Washington, so you're one of the cool West Coast crowd, <laughs> like like all of us. Um, and that area of um, the states is now becoming a real hub for startups. I come I come across a lot of people in in um, in Washington and that um, that are involved in startups. Why is that? Is it government incentives? Is it just that um, the cold and the wet attracts people? <laughs> what well, there, yeah, there's. I think I think you've got a lot of impacts with the cold and the and the weather that haven't been fully fleshed out yet. But uh, I, I will say, I, I think in my opinion, the biggest driver of 
the startup community in in the Pacific Northwest on the West Coast in general has been the the success of, of the the very large tech companies. Um, we're, we are we are fortunate in in Seattle to have very large brands, not only in the technology space and, and leaders in the technology space, but in consumer products. And, and we've got a very diverse set of, of very successful, very powerful businesses. And what 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 has happened is to be a, a huge company and a huge entity is you you can't act as a startup anymore. And, and what, what that means is, is whenever you're building an organization, if your organization is 13 people, like, like it is with us, and we have outside resources as well, but 13 core individuals, yeah. it's, it's real easy to, uh, it's, you've, you've got nowhere to hide and it's, it's very easy to pursue the best opportunities that are out there. Um, and from an investment perspective, from a business perspective, and when you're at a very large company, those large companies of 30,000, 50,000, 60,000 people, they have their own, uh, they have their own organizational uh, food that they need to survive, which yeah. means that, that, that they're inherently inefficient. It's not their fault. It's, it's, uh, it's by virtue of the corporate structure and the way that, that they're designed. They will miss these little opportunities because, frankly, it doesn't move the needle for them. Yeah. And they will also act to preserve their own business, which may or may not be in the best interests of their consumers. I don't fault them for this because it's given us tremendous opportunities to find talent yeah. um, for, the, for the folks who, who they have done well and now they're looking – to, to make it their own, to put their own stamp on things. And, and so uh, it's a great part of the country uh, to be in, the great part of, uh, frankly, of the whole Northern Hemisphere to be in. The, um, the whole tech space seems to be burgeoning. I, I look at, um, in Los Angeles, um, we've always had a lot of um, startups and early stage companies down here, but now all of a sudden from Santa Monica down through um, Venice, it's just wall to wall startups, um, accelerators, etc. There, and it just seems to be really booming. Is that um, is that happening right across the states, or is that just mainly here on the west coast? You know, there there are spots on the east coast where it's happening. There, you know, frankly, there uh, Utah. Uh, Salt Lake City has been yeah. a hotbed for venture capital investment really in the last couple of years. And that was surprising to me. And I've been there and, and seen it. And it's, it's the real deal. Yeah. Austin, Texas. Austin, uh, what you've got, you've got a lot of spots. So I think, I think what, what's, so, what's so important and I think what should make all entrepreneurs excited is we have the technology today where you can be almost anywhere and, and craft, create a business and, and hatch a successful business and frankly manage it in a, in a distributed environment. We have employees in Texas, in California, in Kentucky. We utilize folks who are in Los Angeles and we have some developers in, in all parts of the world. And we have developers in Austin, Texas and in Seattle, Washington and Maple Valley, Washington. Good heavens. I mean, it's, we're, we are, we're fortunate in that uh, we have technologies that, that allow people to produce a tremendous amount of, of valuable contributions and, and do that on their own terms. If, I don't, I'd rather not have them sit in traffic, right? Yeah. I'd rather have them working and, and, uh, and, and being somewhere where they're comfortable and they're happy. Yeah, I'm sure they would too. Um, your background's pretty diverse from Wall Street to, to tech to now being yeah. CEO of Winning Photos. What's the future of tech? Um, this um, acceleration, I, I was went to a presentation by Singularity University who said that um, over the last 15 years, we've gone 1% of the technology revolution, and then the next 15 years, we're going to go the other 99%. Well, it seems to me the change has been so ferocious over the past 10, 15 years that I, don't, I can't see how it can accelerate that much over the next 15, but I guess it will. So where are we going to? Where... Where do we go? Where do we go next year, and where do we go in ten years' time? Gosh, you know, I, I think um, I, I think in ten years' time is is where it starts to get, it starts to get very interesting. And, and for me, I think a lot of the the huge impacts and developments will come from the artificial intelligence sure. uh, 
the investments that are being made today, frankly, the data that, that has been gathered and is currently being gathered, analyzed and, and used to train machines, I think is very exciting. Uh, there are opportunities for our business in photography to use that as well. And that's that's been a, a source of a lot of our intellectual property development. Um Anytime you have a tremendous amount of data and people were talking about big data and it was that that term was coined about 10 years ago, which incidentally was where a prior startup where we had done intellectual property work in before was how to store data in the cloud. Right. And so we, we had the seminal patents for uh, cloud storage and, and uh, that, that was how we started off. Um, but I, I, I do think the artificial intelligence is big. I do think that millennials are going to take us to spots that we didn't really think about. I think there's going to be a surprise factor in there. And, and for me, I get excited about that because it'll create new opportunities uh, through a demographic of incredibly talented, incredibly driven individuals who have this uh, passion for positive societal change. And yeah. I, I just think that that's fabulous. I so I think I'd like to see a revolution, not, not only in what we're doing through the artificial intelligence, but a revolution in how we're connecting in our communities and, and the positive impacts that we can make uh, for, for everyone in, in this world. I think that that, to me, I hope that the 99%, a huge chunk of that is, is devoted to solving those problems. And I think with the millennial demographic, we can be assured that it will be. Great. David, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about David Young and Kodak Photos by going, Kodak Winning Photos, by going to Twitter at Kodak Photos, F-O-T-O-S, or via LinkedIn, David Young. Thank you. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. And this week, broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. Last week in my daily 30-second read business newsletter, I spoke about Griffin Vance from Aon Row in Boston, who instituted a policy where when you buy something new from his Aon Row clothing line, you give back something old and receive a 15% cash reward each time. Well, that's terrific because, you know, if I buy a new sweater, then I usually throw away an old sweater. So instead of throwing it away, I put it in a box, send it to Aon Row, and I get 15%. Whew, what a good deal. So I received a wonderful touching email reply from David Perry of Perry Martell from a very successful Ottawa-based executive search firm. Now, 18 years ago, David's four-and-a-half-month-old daughter had gone into heart arrest again. He had roughly 13 minutes to travel the 19 kilometres to the hospital before brain damage would start to set in, and so he had to leave the second he realised that a heart stopped beating. Traffic was heavy. And unfortunately, the ambulance was not allowed to drive to the hospital as it was just over the border in the US. Because of the urgency, David and Anita had to leave their other three children at home alone and they'd set up an army of volunteers who were ready 24 hours a day if they got that call. Fortune smiled on them. They got Shannon to the hospital and... uh, She came home just in time for Christmas. Now, to to thank their friends and neighbours who watch over their other three children when they have an issue with Shannon, they decided to have a New Year's Eve party, and David soon discovered that Shannon's operation and safe return 
were just the beginning of a gift which would last more than 18 years to date. Their lives changed forever that evening when they accidentally learned that several of these wonderful people who put themselves out incredibly for them were out of work and hadn't said anything to them. David was shocked because he didn't know how bad things were for them and he was disappointed in himself because he hadn't paid closer attention. And uh, some of these people were in a terrible situation, but they took the time to help him when they could have been out looking for work. So that night, David and his wife, Anita, began a tradition among their old and new friends. Every year they have a Christmas party, and the main reason they host it was because of that New Year's Eve party in 1998. Now, at every Christmas party since, he loads up the balances the people that come and several of their friends seem to find new career opportunities and lots of good things that happen to them while at the party. Now, some of the things David's done over that last 18 years, apart from putting people together, he's made a mortgage payment or he's paid property taxes for some of his friends. He's ordered a cord of wood or paid for delivery of oil for people who didn't have the money. He slipped gift cards for groceries or department stores anonymously in their mailbox. He's paid their internet or their subscription to the newspaper, both which are essential to people who are looking for jobs. And he's paid a lot of utility bills. Now, David's tips are to use your imagination, do it quietly, expect nothing in return. Most importantly, Never tell them, even 18 years later. Never admit it. Just keep emotions out of it and do the right thing and don't ever look back. Now, David and Anita have done this every year for 18 years and not just at Christmas. And when you think about it, the last 18 years have changed dramatically, haven't they? Economic uncertainty and change are the only thing that's certain. And a lot of people have lost hope as their lives spiral out of control. So um, many consumed with shame, the shame of job loss and the shame of not being able to provide for themselves and their family, and why we might argue they shouldn't be for many reasons, it's their reality and shame is very real. So for David and Anita, Christmas and Hanukkah signify hope, and hope is all that a lot of job hunters have right now. If you have a job, David invites you to enjoy the gift of giving. Your life will never be the same again and you just may save someone's life or at the very least give them relief and give them hope that better days are ahead. David and Anita, we applaud you for your caring and generosity. It was interesting that the same day I got that, I got an email from some idiot who said that, um, well, he accused me of political bias and uh, went on and on and on about what a ratbag and whatever I am, bleeding heart liberal, I think he called me. Um, and I, I hunted for his name. I was going to mention it on here, but I couldn't find it. But I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol for my daily newsletter. I must admit, though, we didn't um, unsubscribe, so I suppose that's a good thing. It takes just 30 seconds to read the newsletter, and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that is important. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge you're just taking up far too much space. If you're not living on the edge, get out of the way and let somebody who wants to achieve barrel past you and then don't whinge for the rest of your miserable life that somebody else had an opportunity that you didn't have. You know, it's much more rewarding and easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary this is my last broadcast for 2017 from Hollywood Boulevard where technology meets entertainment. And I hope you can enjoy, join me next year, first week of January, for the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful. You've got to continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. I wish you all a very, very happy and wonderful new year. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.